afternoon and welcome to the 150th of the COVID calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Today, we're gonna to talk about siblings during the pandemic. And I'm having my special guests today to mark this 150th episode. And that is my brothers and sisters who I will bring out and introduce to you in just a few minutes. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID calls live every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube. Just go to the COVID calls YouTube channel to watch. You can also watch COVID calls on Facebook Live and on Periscope. You can hear COVID calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID calls. Please do help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. And please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, October 16th, 2020, there are 1,101,007 deaths from COVID-19 globally, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. There are 8,027,412 cases of COVID-19 in the United States, up from 7,927,975 reported yesterday. There are now a total of 218,266 deaths reported in the United States from COVID-19. That's up from 217,155 reported yesterday, yet another day with more than 1,000 deaths day to day. As a way to bring some humanity to the numbers, I've been reading a life story or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic in some way. I'd like to continue that now. Headline is two Navajo sisters who were inseparable died of COVID just weeks apart. This was written by Shoshana Dubnow and was published August 26th in Kaiser Health News. Cheryl and Karina Thin were almost joined at the hip. The sisters, both members of the Navajo Nation, shared an office at Arizona's Tuba City Regional Healthcare. Cheryl conducted reviews to make sure patients were receiving adequate care. Corinna was a social worker. Their desks were just inches apart. They lived together with their mother, Mary Thin. They helped raise each other's children. And they died just weeks apart at ages 40 and 44 after falling ill with COVID-19. The Navajo Nation was ravaged by COVID-19 this spring. In May, it reported the highest per capita infection rate in the United States. As of August 21st, the sisters were among 489 members of the reservation who had died of the virus, according to the Navajo Department of Health. Experts attributed the spread to the prevalence of multi-generational housing and poor sanitation infrastructure. Many homes lack running water. Like medical centers across the country, local hospitals across the Navajo Nation experienced shortages of personal protective gear. In early March, Corinna, without personal protective equipment, saw a patient who was showing symptoms of COVID-19, according to her sister, Chris. Corinna made sure the patient was comfortable and asked what else she could do to help. A couple of days later, that patient died and a test for COVID-19 came back positive. Within days after that, she got sick really fast, Chris said. Corinna's first concern was for Cheryl, who started showing symptoms of the virus around the same time that she did. Cheryl's job as a utilization review technician required face-to-face -face interaction with patients to verify their insurance and discuss workers' compensation. She had underlying health conditions, including rheumatoid arthritis. 
Chris remembers calling Cheryl on her 40th birthday, March 19th. Cheryl joked about how, as the baby of the four siblings, she was still young and pretty, but she also complained that it was difficult for her to breathe. She was admitted to the Tuba City Hospital the next day. Corinna's condition worsened as well, and she checked herself into the emergency room at Tuba City on March 21st. Hospital staff tried assisted breathing treatments on her to no avail. Cheryl was airlifted to Flagstaff Medical Center on March 24th. She never knew that Corinna was briefly in the hospital with her. Corinna was airlifted to Banner Thunderbird Medical Center in Glendale later that night. Chris said that the last time she spoke with Corinna, she was still in the ER. She just messaged us saying she was going to get flown out, that she loves us and that she was going to be back, Chris said. That was the last time we heard from her. Because of shortages, the sisters weren't tested for COVID-19 until they were transferred out of Tuba City. They both tested positive and were then intubated at their respective hospitals. Cheryl died on April 11th and no family members were allowed to be with her. I couldn't even hold my baby, her mother said. I couldn't even hold her hand when she passed. The family had a small service before burying Cheryl next to their father, Navajo Police Sergeant Jimmy Thin Sr. and Cheryl's ex-husband who died in January. Even after their marriage ended, the two remained close and co-parented Cheryl's son, Kyle. Chris says the whole family experience, the whole experience felt very lonely. Numbed by the pain of Cheryl's death, the family shifted their focus to Corinna. You tell yourself that we just need to get her healthy enough to come home, Chris said, and then all of a sudden she's gone. Corinna died on April 29th, 18 days after her sister's death and two weeks after her birthday, which she spent on a ventilator. Although she was unconscious, her nurse sang happy birthday. Corinna's oldest son, Gary Warito Jr., had tried for weeks to take leave from his Fort Bliss Army post in El Paso, Texas. His superiors declined his requests out of concerns he might contract the virus while on leave. Separated from his mother by hundreds of miles, Warito tried to reach her through prayer. I would burn cedar, he said. I was trying to talk to my mom. I was telling her, Mom, you're going to get through this. You're going to come home. You're going to meet your granddaughter. Morito and his wife were expecting their second child. The baby would have been Karina's first granddaughter. Morito remembers his mother as a model Navajo. She left the reservation to get an education and then she came home, he said. She could have worked anywhere else as a social worker, but she chose to help her own people. Karina was particularly effective at the hospital because she spoke English and Navajo fluently. The Navajo language helped the United States win World War II as a secret code for communications because it remained mostly unwritten at the time. A colleague said, a lot of people aren't fluent in Navajo anymore. When elderly people would come to the hospital, they don't speak a lot of English. She was there to talk with them. It would really surprise people. Both sisters left behind young sons. Karina's son, Michael, is 14 and Cheryl's son just turned 12. The cousins are keeping each other company, reminding Mary of the way her daughters behaved. Morito said he sometimes forgets his mother is gone and expects her to come home from work. My grandmother told me it's a little peace of mind that I'm home now, he said. It kind of fills that void that my mom and my aunt left. Okay, I'd like to turn to my conversation for today. And to do that, I have my guests with me, my siblings, um, all but one of them. And so uh, I did not prepare fully written out biographical statements for each of you, but I hope maybe we could just go around and everybody could introduce themselves. 
a little bit. And uh, Jen, can I start with you? Sure. Hi, I'm Jen Knowles Lerma. Um, I live in Austin, Texas with my husband and three-year-old son. And what do you I, do when you're not doing that? I work for a software company. Um, and we are all 100% working remotely. And it's actually been a really smooth transition. Um, so we're, I'm very, very fortunate to work where I do. How big is and, that company, Jen? Uh, Baxter Planning. We're a software company for supply chain planning. And um, my husband actually has been a stay-at-home dad since we had our son. And so we are also very fortunate in that because we don't have to worry about like juggling, working from home, and watching a child. So we know we're extremely blessed having that situation. And you've all been home this whole time. Seven months. <laughs> I love the way you said that. Um, <laughs> Dave. Who are you? I'm the guy who can't seem to get his mic unmuted. Um, yeah, I'm Dave Vieira. I live in San Antonio, Texas. I uh, I am a father of two now uh, with the recent arrival. It's seven weeks old today. Uh, when I am not being a part of this call and hassling Scott, I am a, uh, theater consultant for a firm based in Dallas, uh, with a office in San Antonio. Um, and we are back to work. We initially worked from home, but following Texas guidelines, we have been back in the office, um, here and there, and we are back in the office full time now. But we have been very fortunate that, you know, I work remotely, travel a lot, uh, which has been basically on hold. Um, but, I, you know, we were already prepared to work from basically anywhere because I spend 50 to 60 percent of my time working from a hotel or an airport anyway. So. You're muted. I forgot the one thing, the only single thing I have to remember is don't, don't mute myself before talking. So you're in the office now, right Dave? I am in the office now. Yes. It seemed quiet. Yes. It is much, much quieter here than, uh, being at the, uh, at home with the, the three year or the two year old and the seven week old, it gets a little, little noisy and a little rambunctious at the time. I've learned how to cram an awful lot of work under nap time. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's keep going. Um, Lindy? Um, hi, my name is Lindy. Uh, I live in Austin, but right now I'm actually in San Marcos um, in my office at Texas State. Um, I work for the sociology department um, as the grad program specialist. So I help um, with recruiting and retention um, and administrative support for all of our graduate programs. Um, and but I live in Austin, so I make the commute and I'm in the office twice a week, um, typically, typically just two days a week. So and um, my husband also works at Texas State. Um, and so we kind of alternate on which days we're coming up to campus. So uh, one of us is at home. So. And the students are back. So uh, Texas State has chosen to 
have kind of a hybrid model. Um, technically, yes, it's in person, but the majority of the courses that are offered um, are online or they have the option where it's uh, kind of a hybrid, half online, half in person. Um, and also students can choose to do modifications. But yeah, students are here, people are living on campus um, and our office is required to be open since the university is open. So there has to be one person in our office physically here from eight to five, Monday through Friday. Otherwise you're not open technically. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll return to that discussion, I'm sure, at some point. Thank you, Lindy. Stephanie. Hi, um, I'm Stephanie Knowles-Edelton, and um, I live in Leander, Texas, which is just right outside of Austin, and um, I work in Austin, so I actually just um, ran back home because it's actually quieter at home than school. So I work, um, I'm a teacher, second grade teacher at Highland Park in Austin. Um, love it. And my husband, Jason, is a teacher um, a couple miles away from my school in Austin. And he's a third grade teacher. So we have had an interesting time um, with all with all of this. But we're back in school. And um, this is the second week with kids. I've had four kids in my classroom and also teaching online. So that's been um, an experience. So not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're, so just so I understand, again, so you're teaching and you have the students in the classroom and then you're also doing a remote population of students who may return to the classroom and then also students who probably will not return to the classroom. Right. So we give out surveys every few weeks just to see what um, the families are comfortable with. And we're doing a phase in model. So um, we were at 25 percent and now we're at 50 percent starting next week. So I'll get. I'll have six kids total, but some teachers will have 12, um, but still teaching the online at the same time. So Complicated. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, Jeff, uh, last but not least today in our roundup. Sure. <clears throat> hey, everybody. Jeff Knowles. I'm uh, Scott's younger brother. I live in Oakland, California, and I work for a transportation consulting firm. I'm a city planner and I manage uh, our Oakland office here. Uh, I've got, a, uh, my wife is here with me in California and she works from the nonprofit sector. And we have a daughter who's just about to turn two next month. Amazing. Uh, thank you all for making time to, to do this. I have one other brother, uh, Freddie, who I just want to say hi to. Hey, Fred, uh, he's not with us here today. It's something else that kept him, but, um, Thank you, and it's good to see each of you. And I guess for those who are keeping score at home, um, uh, I we're all related, but I have, let's see, my mother and father who divorced and each remarried. And so I grew up with um, in the house with my mother and stepfather, with Dave and Freddie, and then also was frequently in my other home with, uh, my father and stepmother, and that's where Jen and Lindy and Steph and Jeff grew up. So uh, for those who are listening, uh, maybe that will help sort out a little bit of it. Although these days, I mean, I even um, when I was much younger, I felt like I had to explain that much more. And families, I think people have gotten so much more used in our society to sort of, we might have even used to call them complicated family arrangements. I'm not even sure we do 
anymore. There's so many multi-generational families and blended families these days. But um, why don't we talk a little bit about just what um, it's been like to deal with the pandemic and keep family relationships going? And I guess I would start that conversation. I want to hear from each of you a little bit about the early period of the pandemic, which I know must seem like a long time ago now. But cast your memory back to like February, March, and what it was like for you, particularly to like deal with uh, lockdown and like just how you manage that in your own house and communicating with each other through that time. Do you, do you all remember that? What What do you remember about that? Let me just, um, I'll start by sort of asking people, but then everybody just jump in. Lindy, can you mind if I ask you first? Sure. Yeah, I remember it very clearly. <laughs> March 13th was the um, last day of being on campus and our department, we had a kind of a round table discussion about how maybe we'll be gone for two weeks, uh, take home a laptop, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was almost like a joke, like, okay, well, we'll see, you know, but see y'all in a couple weeks. Like it was right before spring break. Um, and my son, who's 18 months, he was back in March, he was 11 months old. Um, he, uh, we pulled him out of daycare because we just were trying to be safe until things happened. And so the first couple weeks, it was a lot of, um, I don't know, anxiety about like what's to come. Um, a little bit of just uncertainty about how actually scary this could be, um, if it really was going to affect Austin or our area, or if it was just going to affect other people. It was kind of more of like, okay, well, we're doing this out of caution because it's bad other places. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was stressful. It was the first time um, trying to handle work, but also take care of our son who is very active um, and also a marriage, <laughs> communicating and uh, figuring out our roles and what's fair. And um, yeah, so the first couple weeks were pretty difficult. <laughs> it was not a, not a great time. <laughs> Anybody else want to share those first few weeks? I'll share just real quick because um, the same thing, March 12th was a Thursday. And so it was almost spring break. And I remember like, I didn't even get to say bye to my class. Like, you know, the normal, like, bye, see y'all tomorrow. And then we got the call, like we weren't going to school that Friday. And so, and then I never saw them again, you know, we saw them on zoom, but just such a weird time. And like Lindy said, it was kind of like, okay, we'll just see you in two weeks. Probably it's not that big of a deal. And so I think that was the hardest part of it all was that we just didn't know. And so that like March, pretty much the whole month of March was just like wait the waiting game. And so that was really tricky because it's just, you know, you're waiting to see what was going to happen. And there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, I think, you know, being in the Bay Area, the, uh, the government was really attuned to it and starting to lock us down, I think, earlier than the rest of the country. Um, and I had gotten sick uh, basically a week before uh, we closed our office and don't still to this day don't know if maybe we actually got COVID in our household. We all were sick for about a month, uh, just some of the symptoms of it. Um, and so, yeah, I left and took sick leave and then we closed our office and so I never, you know, didn't come back. Uh, and it was really stressful. I think, I think everybody felt this way, anybody working parents of how do we manage a workload? 
with two working parents. And my wife had just gone back to work, starting a job in January, new job. So we were waking up, I was waking up at like 5 a.m. to try and get in a few hours of work before my daughter woke up. And then then my wife would take over a few hours and I'd try and work in the bedroom with our door closed. But mm-hmm. you know, Amy Lou would be knocking at the door and then break for lunch and try and switch. And then somehow I'd be up late. And so nobody was sleeping. Everybody was confined. And in California, we've got you know these fires that are raging. So sometimes that right. locks us in, in our house, in our two bedroom apartment. And so it was just chaos until we finally made the decision to go, uh, you know, restart daycare, and did that after about two months. And it was, I think, every parent has to weigh the risks involved. And uh, for our daughter, also very active and very social, she just thrives in daycare. And so our daycare did a very, very small, you know, com- you know, limited group to return. And so we were part of that limited group. And since then, it's been kind of a godsend to have, uh, you know. To have that availability to keep us, you know, sane and working. Do you think you had COVID? I don't know. And it was before there was any testing available. I mean, it was right. It was in February, uh, late February. So it's, you know, I was doing some work down in Santa Clara County, which was at that time kind of a, a hot spot. Uh, did some events that maybe could have picked it up. Uh, don't know, but it was certainly uh, kind of a cough that didn't go away for a few a few weeks. Um, so I don't know. It would have been a lighter, certainly a milder case. Uh, no hospitalization, uh, no breathing, true breathing difficulty, but I don't know. I, I remember in that early period, too, because when did Sac- San Francisco go on lockdown, Joe? Uh, second second week of March, I think. It was, it was for, I mean, it was really early, and yeah, I think for the rest uh, of the country, it was strange and sort of, you know, talking to you at that time and seeing the pictures from out there. And I interviewed a couple of people who were based out there at that time and they were describing, you know, empty streets and and things like that, that we hadn't gotten to yet here in New Jersey. We were gonna get to that really soon. But one of the weird things about this pandemic, um, and since we are a big family, and we're dispersed over different parts of Texas. And then we you've got the West Coast lockdown, Jeff, and I got the East Coast lockdown. We actually, amongst all of us, kind of saw this thing unfold in the different times as it did. But it I have to say, in those early period when you were describing what it was like out there, there was part of me that thought, oh, how weird for him. Like I'll never it didn't quite dawn on me that I was about to go through the exact same thing that you were going through there. Um, Jen, what what were the first couple weeks like for you? So I had a similar situation, I guess, as of Lindy. We, our office made the decision to do like a test of going, um, working from home to see if we could all handle it. We had the right infrastructure. Everyone had the right, um, just monitors and everything. And so they're like, okay, y'all need to start going, working from home, like department by department, um, just to try it out. And then all of a sudden that changed to like, okay, everyone has to work from home, but we'll see in a month if you can come back. And that's just been a lot. And then finally they were like, we can't keep saying we'll come back. So it's been like, we'll come back indefinitely when things are better. Um, so I think it was just a little tough because of all the uncertainty at the beginning. Um, 
but it's it's been okay it's just it's just the yeah just across the board the uncertainty has been kind of just increased anxiety and you know and just not getting to get out of the house and see friends has been really tough um but it has been nice my i'm pretty sure my son never wants me to go back to the office um because i see him you know yeah. longer in the morning and then i eat lunch with him um i can help out um, in between calls and stuff so that has been nice but it definitely has been it's a long transition period like at first i had a hard time focusing on work when i was working just it, it's, it's just different um being in my bedroom because we have we live in a two bedroom uh condo i don't have room for a desk so i'm like working on a table at the foot of my bed just trying to make the best of everything um so yeah it's just been very different Kids are going to have such a different memory of this. And I mean, mm -hmm. what, what you were just talking about, you know, Donovan's like, you know, the pandemic, at least extra mom time, it shouldn't end. I mean, what a bummer to have to go back to some kinds of normal are not great for kids. You know, yeah. they'd, they'd rather be have a lot more attention, I think. Um, I've tried to think about this from from a kid's perspective sometimes, and it certainly for me, those first few weeks just felt like a snow day. I mean, it, yeah. it felt like a snow day mixed with like an apocalypse movie, where like the cause of the snow day was something that was impossibly terrible, but very hard to assess or experience because it was all happening in hospitals, or whatever. So the way we lived it was just the way you all described. It's like. Well, I got to take everything home from the office that I might need for you know a couple of weeks until I get back. And of course, it like a super nervous snow day. Super what? A super nervous yeah, right. snow day. What was your time like, Dave? First part of it. Yeah. So um, I, these guys, like, I mean, they pretty much captured the essence. The only thing that I wanted to add was down here in San Antonio area. It was you know. The thing I responded to the most or the thing that I remember the most that sticks out is like listening to them talking about this, you know, new virus emerging in China on NPR and like kind of listening to that build up and like a couple of weeks before, you know, Mar middle of March, like, hey, you know, honey, maybe we should get a few extra groceries this week. Maybe we should get a few extra like, man, you know, I don't know what if this thing gets weird, I, you know, and worrying about our friends in Seattle and you know, worrying about people in the East Coast and all my friends that work in the arts. And I was like, you know, maybe we should be a little prepared for this. And then like that Sunday before lockdown started, things just being absolutely crazy town, like trying to go to the grocery store and for my regular grocery run that Sunday morning. And it was like packed and everything was bare and people were looking at each other. Like if you stood next, like, I felt like the like I had to sneeze in the store, and I thought I was gonna get left for dead there. Like it was, 
it was like a just a very unfocused pandemonium that was going on. It was kind of calm, but like lots of under, like just under the surface nerves that I felt like um, really kind of came to the head whenever um, they started rolling out lockdowns and things started closing up and people started staying home that, I, you know, I, I'm sure that everyone here, well, I guess with the exception of you and Jeff, ha, you know, the girls and I have a similar experience being in Texas of people being like, no, this is just a flu. Like, this is uh, no big deal. Like, you know, I'm not going to, government's not going to tell me what to do. And that has been from the beginning. Like, I remember going to pick up my son from staying with his, you know, staying with his in-laws during the day because our house was too small to have be taken care of, you know, two parents working at home and a almost two-year-old. So it was like, we go out there and masks, now. Nah, we're not social. Nope, not going to do that either. Like, like, no, no, seriously, this is serious. Like, I realize you're in a quote unquote rural community, but like, you can still get it. So, yeah. I Dave, since I, I want to just actually, I'm going to want to put you on the spot a little bit. This is a mask. This is one that I have. I, uh, since I studied disasters, I actually, I, keep tabs on things. I bought some masks in early January um, because I was following what was going on in China. I guess it would have been around mid-January. And I don't know if you remember that. So like I talked to the way things were a pre-COVID time. I would talk to each of you or text with each of you usually in the morning on my Amtrak trip in to Drexel or in the evening on my walk from the train station home. Like those are time periods in which that's like sibling time for me to catch up with people, which means you're all sort of used to receiving sort of rando texts from me somewhere between 7.30 in the morning and 8.30 in the morning and 6 and 8 p.m. or like a random call where I sound out of breath because I'm walking. This particular morning um, was early March and I had the mask on the train and people were just starting to wear them here in the Northeast right at that time. The first death recorded of COVID in New was in New York was March 1st. And in Jersey, people were not in general wearing any masks. And I wore this, there was one other person on the train, I'll never get this. And I, I talked to you, Dave, we were talking on the phone and I said, oh, I'm wearing the mask. And you said, oh, you're not supposed to wear that. You totally let me have it. You were like, you're not supposed to wear the mask. The masks, other people need the masks. The mask, they've already told you were. And of course, this is what the CDC was reporting at that time was we weren't supposed to wear the mask. You're damn right they were. And I, yeah, okay. So that's a separate issue. I'm just as a brothers and sisters thing. And, and the point I want to make about this is that, okay, so first of all, I could have got this information anywhere I wanted, but you know what I did? I took the mask off and I put it in my bag and I didn't wear a mask again until much later because you chastised me for wearing the mask. And I just, I want to just make that point because I think that we rely a lot on each other. May, maybe sometimes in unhealthy ways yeah, sorry about that. Um, for public health information. No, that's the information that was out there. And in fact, you know, you could say because we had a PPE shortage in this country, um, I, I had already bought this before that shortage. Uh, but I, I have come back to that moment time and time again. I was like, I was sort of like, I think in some way I wanted you to say like, hey, great, cool mask and good job. And instead you're like, 
hey, idiot, like, you're not supposed to be wearing the mask. And I was like, I just remember very sheepishly, I was like, like putting it in my bag and that was that for the mask. But it's funny, you had no shame wearing it. Not me in the least, a bunch of strangers. But if my brother, 1,800 yeah, miles away, tells me not to do it. Hey, yes. I, that's it. It's about, I mean, I think one of the frustrating aspects about me dealing with this entire thing personally has been like, and as you guys know, I, I feel like I'm a very much a rule follower and like that I'm presented with that. And I was like, oh, well, that's the rule. I'm going to follow the rule. And then the rule changed. And I was like, we got to get masks now. Like we need masks now. And I was like, I remember, I remember the first time my husband came downstairs with like a bandana around his face because he was going to go to the store. And I was like, no, they say not to wear masks. Like they say that it's no good. <laughs> and then he's like, no, they changed it. I was like, what? So, yeah, right. Yeah. I, count, I count on my wife. She knows all of the, she buys all of the masks. And I remember in February, I was riding the bus to work and I saw somebody with the full respirator on the bus. And I was like, I was kind of like, look at this guy over here. And then he was, that guy was wise up. He knew. <laughs> so now it's like in hindsight, I didn't Yeah, feel it's a good thing he didn't call his brother. Yeah. <laughs> What it, let's stay with this for a minute. You know, we are a sort of an extended phone, text, social media tree as siblings. What are some of the other ways you all were communicating? We were all communicating throughout all of this. Well, we started our weekly well, we, Zoom calls. Yeah, we started at the end of March. Was it that early? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was right after granddad passed and so we, called each other we wanted to zoom and it just became a weekly thing yeah. which is really special mm -hmm. and Not we're still now that. but because i mean we've all gotten busier but i think it's still been a constant which has been nice um very yeah it's like we talked to y'all i see y'all's faces much more than i had in years and yeah i was thinking about that we we typically don't see each other between april in October. I mean, sometimes if we're lucky, a summer vacation, we all get together. But, um, you know, it's not like, I think this upcoming, you know, Christmas break and like not getting to see each other over the winter is gonna be really tough. But I just yeah. love that um, we've seen each other and talked to each other more in the past seven months than we typically do. And it's, you know, for a while there, it was every either Saturday or Sunday, for at least an hour. And it was like the highlight yeah. of the week. It was the only thing that would break up for me or for our family. It was the only thing that we had on the calendar. That was, because <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, we, we don't, we didn't go out. We didn't see anybody. So it's like, okay, it's four o'clock. <laughs> Got to get on the zoom call. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty special that we, you know, that is some positivity to come from it is that there is more time to be able to connect because we don't have, the other activities going on <laughs> to distract us or yeah, yeah was that weird for the for the sisters who all live you know you live close by mm -hmm. uh, you know i've i think scott and i have gotten used to you know video chatting you know for for years now but y'all don't see each other every day but we didn't see each other in person for four was it four months not the longest you've ever not seen each other. I think like, it was, yeah, by far. At least three months. That's the longest. That's at least three months. Yeah. Um, and then we finally um, met up, and since all of our families have been, you know, not 
we've been all social distancing and not going in big groups. So we felt like it was safe and just had some sister time. And that's also been really important um, because we know we can entrust each other. Um, but yeah. But at we, the beginning, yeah, we didn't yeah, see, crazy. which is so hard because, yeah. Yeah. How many, I, I hadn't really, I guess I hadn't thought about it quite that way. So you didn't physically, you weren't physically together in the same space, Jen, Steph, and Lynn, for three and a half months? Yeah, it months. was, I'm trying to think, I might have gone to see Lindy a little bit before, but definitely a month or two. We saw yeah. each other, well, it wasn't that long, Steph, because for, it was Jack's birthday. His first oh, birthday, yeah. You were, and so that was the beginning of April. Um, but that was so weird at the beginning. And that was strange. What was that like? Because I, those first encounters when you hadn't been in the same pod with somebody or have been super tense for people. Was it like that for you guys? I mean, you're twins. Yeah. I wouldn't let Wendy hug me. Like you don't and I did anyway. Well. I didn't was it weird? <laughs> yeah, I was like, don't hug me. And she just ran up and hugged me. And I was like, this is weird. Even though <laughs> I, I never left my house. Like, I, I think I went to HEB once. And like two weeks and I saw Lindy like that, I guess the 14th day. And I was like, but what if I got it? You know, <laughs> but we calmed down. But it was, that was kind of the best thing about the summertime is that all of us were home almost a hundred percent of the time. So it did make us feel a little bit better. But at first it was very weird. Mm -hmm. And I think still you have that anxiety after you see each other, like, oh, my throat has a, I have a tickle. Did I just, I just saw them. Now, did I spread them? Like, am I going to be responsible for being the super spreader? And, you know, so it's just every time you do anything, at least for me, I feel like that anxiety and maybe a little bit of guilt, like, yeah. okay. and so then. We've got to do that with daycare as well. Just worrying about like our pod of parents and Amy Lou got sick about a week ago with a little cold and immediately went, got a COVID test, you know, and was negative and, but still brought her home for a lot longer than typical, I think for just a common cold. And uh, I think it's like, it's really strange this time period of like the risk, right? Of what you're willing to do with not having a lot of good information about what what is risky behavior. I mean, we know like the super spreading events and yeah, you know, try and like wear masks, don't avoid groups, keep your six feet distance. Um, don't spend a lot of time indoors with other people, you know, there's a couple of things you can do to protect yourselves, but like, at what point do you just lock yourself in isolation and close the door? <laughs> I think we all tried that for like yeah. first couple weeks, yeah. months, and then said, no, we can't do all of that. So the pendulum has swung, but um, I think America is trying to figure that out. Yeah. There's so many stories of, you know, like to what Jeff said, like Jeff and I have lived outside of Texas for a while, so we're more used to just keeping up a strong relationship through video and calls, and then and the and the visits, like the physical visits, are really important. Um, but then, you know, reading about these stories of families that, like, they just couldn't in Texas, for example, they just couldn't, and this happened in Jersey too. They couldn't stand to be away from each other because they were so used to the Sunday family dinner or whatever it was, and they got together, and some of those turned into super spreader events where members of the family got sick and died. And it's just like what you were saying, Lindy, it's like, oh God, the tension and pressure of that for siblings and families who are used to seeing each other on a regular basis has been a part of this. I don't think people have talked enough about, 
Um, I don't know, Dave, how, how, when did you first see Fred? How long did you guys go without seeing each other? Uh, we haven't seen each other. Uh, we've talked on the phone and, you know, but we, I, we, he has seen, like we've both seen pe the parents yeah. separately, but we haven't seen, we haven't seen each other. Uh, I mean, you know, with, uh, you know, with Caitlin being pregnant and all of that stuff, we were like super guarded right. and we would only do stuff that involved like uh, being outdoors, being able to be socially distanced, being able to wear masks, like being in situations that we had complete control over every aspect um, or almost complete control. Again, with the toddler, it's hard to have complete control of anything sometimes, as you guys understand. But I, I we don't, you know, I, I guess we don't ever, we never really had like that super close relationship of like, we've got to see each other every few days. Like, you know, we live our, we both live our own lives and we like hang out, but it's like, we've just got this, this like nagging uh, plan to go golfing. Like, and it's like, okay, well, we'll do it. Well, maybe we'll try and do it in a couple of weeks. Oh, maybe we'll try and do it in a couple of weeks after that. It's like, we both celebrated our birthdays. Separately. Like we all, that's a, one of the things that I, uh, Last year, now that everybody, like all of our family unit is in San Antonio, like last year we all got together for Freddie's birthday and made steaks and had a great time. They got to play with the boys. And like, you know, that was just not at all on the uh, yeah. like possibility this year. Not like didn't even enter in the conversation. It was like, hey, uh, text message for having I like have a happy birthday. And that was it. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's it's complicated, and I feel like you have to like I'm I'm willing to accept risks based on, and I I hate to say this, like I like I it's scaffolded, so it's like I will accept this amount of risk for my kids, and I will accept a certain amount of risk for my work, and the reason I accept the work risks is because I still need that to like keep the keep making the house payments, keep paying the, you know, the grocery bills and all that other stuff. Like outside of that, it's like, well, uh, you know, you're, you got to figure out where you land on the continuum of risk. And like, if I can't, like, I, you know, as Jeff alluded to, when it was totally crazy and everybody was trying to be shut in all the time. And like, finally it was like, Nope, we've got to be able to go to the playground. Like we've got to go, somewhere. we got to go, we got to get out of the house and do something to burn off some energy. But, Man, other than that, like, not doing it. Um, since you mentioned uh, Caitlin, I mean, everybody's it's come up several times. You know, between all of us, we have a lot of young children. Uh, Dave, you have a, a newborn. Like, can you just share a little bit about that experience? And then I'd like to invite others to talk about, you know, the childcare things. I mean, we're, we live all of this as siblings, but we also, one of the things siblings rely on each other for is like child raising advice. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing? What are we doing? Um, and But I mean, Dave, the, your situation, I mean, is pretty extreme. I mean, you know, like Asher is like a pandemic era baby. Yeah, he sure is. Sorry, my office phone is ringing and my cell phone now. Uh, but yeah, because the work never stops now. Uh, that's... Uh, I, it's not your question. I'm going to treat this like a presidential debate. I know that was your question. I'll come back to that. Uh, I feel like so now, 
there is zero disconnect from like work time and not work time. Like since we've moved home, like working from home more often, like my phone, like I feel like people feel like they can call me or text me at any time for work stuff. Now. Dude, that's... We're all working whenever we can. And like, I don't want to be rude yeah. to somebody. Be like, hey. Anyway. Um, you need to take the call? No, it's not important. All right. Um, I, no. So I, I had a tremendous amount of anxiety with the whole baby and pregnancy thing, like to the point where we did a tremendous and somebody's going to you're going to get angry emails after this. But like we did a tremendous amount of research about like at home births and alternative birthing centers and different like we we're very much like one of my sisters-in-law is a labor and delivery nurse. Like we are very much going to the hospital. Like that is going to, that was the birth plan. And then as things blew up in South Texas and San Antonio specifically, I was like, I'm not going to go to the hospital because that's a place where sick people are very sick people. And I don't like what resources are they going to have available? What, I mean, obviously they're going to do their best, but I don't want to be in a situation like, you know, Caitlin's not sick. She's having a baby. Like she's not like, this is not a, a danger risk space. I mean, I guess it's risky, but it's not like the same kind of emergency room need that other people have in this moment. And, you know, ultimately for, you know, things got better or whatever, but I, I was a complete basket case for a little while there of trying to hold it together. of like, this is scary. This is a scary thing, but maybe it's going to be okay. Um, and then it turned out okay. Like, and baby's healthy and every mom's healthy. And, you know, she got pork, you know, she's having contractions and they're stuffing that thing in her nose for her COVID test before they can let her back into labor, like to decide it, like you go into door number one or door number two for your, and the processing all of that fear and anxiety about, okay, if you're COVID positive, they're going to take the baby from you and take it to the nursery. They're going to take like, like, and it's the fear of the unknown in many ways, but man, that was absolutely nerve wracking. And I think I've talked way too much. So yeah, not at all. Did she have to wear a mask the whole time during delivery? She did. Um, she wore masks. So we were prepared with everything. So I bought face shields. We had, we had cloth masks. We had surgical masks. We had N95 respirators um, because I just didn't know like what it was going to be. And she ended up wearing the cloth mask and everybody like the, labor and delivery team, the doctors were all in full PPE um, the whole time. And I mean, she handled it like a total champ and, you know, but I'm sure it was uncomfortable. Like she will never, never admit to it, but yeah, she labored in a mask. mask, Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You obviously know way better than I do, but I just, (laughs) There was never an expectation when we went in like they were like okay so here are the ground rules for what you and they didn't say it like this but like here are the ground rules for what you need to be doing while you're here there was never an expectation that she wasn't going to wear a mask for our own safety like i don't know who else you're around like what else is happening in here like again yeah. it's a it's a big building full of sick people so you but you were able to be there with her because i've heard stories about fathers yeah. not in the same room or being admitted to the hospital yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great uh, a great point, Jeff. And I know that uh, there are other people that weren't as fortunate as us. Um, but yes, I you know they were. You were allowed to have one support person. So her sister, who is the labor and delivery nurse, I mean, this is a credentialed professional who does this for a living, um, was not able to be with her mm-hmm. because 
she didn't work. She doesn't work at the hospital that we delivered at. So she had to get, she was going to have to get a uh, doula certification or something like that to be able to, I can't remember the specific language, but it was like, there was very specific language that I think is actually enshrined in state law or state statute now of these are executive order from the governor. It's like, you can have one support person and one registered doula, I think is the, oh. the language that they when, when Emily was born, it was the middle of a really tremendous fire season in California in 2018, and it was November, and I thought it was bad then when we looked out the windows and everything was hazy and was orange, and she was born into this kind of environment where we had to take her home and like rush to the car as quickly as we can and stay. We were locked in for two weeks, couldn't leave the house. Um, I thought that was like apocalyptic, and so hearing your story about, you know, bringing a child into the world during COVID is just absolutely insane. Yeah. Good on you for getting through that. Yeah. I mean, I, I say, I, obviously I had the easy job there, uh, but you know, like we had our, and you guys are gonna make fun of me. It's fine. But like we had our little essential oils diffuser and like the Bluetooth speaker and like made it home. And honestly, like the people were great. Like the, like the mother baby unit was like a whole different world set apart from the rest of the world. It's like I had somebody that came in that took care of this little person that just came into the world who has no idea, has never known a world that didn't have COVID. And like none of this is weird, none of it's strange. Like, I mean, to be totally honest with you, like when we left, I was like, oh, man, that was really easy. I, I don't know what I was scared about. That was really easy. So I, I wonder, I'm, you know, for other I mean, just to get in some of the child um, care kind of stories that are, you know, related to that, like the first time that Mercer went and had a play date with a friend, for example, it was just like, it's just like this tension, like these very normal things. Like, and, and I think this has been also like maybe step, you know, to this issue about getting kids back to school, like, um, Children need to be with children. Parents need for children to be with children. <laughs> but that tension of that sort of, not even just the first time, but like, you know, around our house, we, we're rule followers too. Like we take all this very seriously. And, you know, Gabriel and Mercer have had to really adapt to that. I don't know, like Steph, what it's been like to talk to parents do this time you have a lot of anxious parents probably contacting you asking is it safe to send our kids back into your classroom yeah and they're so nervous when they do but i will say like it's been incredible to watch because we all you know i don't know about y'all but i complain every five minutes about my mask hot and I have a pimple now because i'm wearing it these kids they come to school at 7 30 or 7 45 and they keep their masks on the whole time and they play hard on the playground mask on and i never have to remind them and they're it's just really cool to see how they can adapt and you know they're learning on a computer in a classroom and they can't share anything but they're happy as can be like the first day i went home just crying because i was like this is the worst day of my life this was the worst like school experience these kids are probably miserable and i got an email from a parent that said my son came home and was so happy and said it was just the best day of school he's ever had because he was back at school you know and some of that just kind of like he got to see kids because they hadn't seen anyone you know since march and so it just kind of put things into perspective of like 
it just, I don't know. And I know most of those parents, they email me and they're like, okay, tell me truthfully, should we send them back? And I'm like, I can't make that decision for you because I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but we yeah. try the best. So, but it is really amazing to see kids figuring out ways to still be kids and play with each other and doing it safely, better than most adults are doing right now. Jan and, and Lindy, seeing some of the, you've had cousin get-togethers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, um, Jack and Donovan finally got to play together uh, like a couple of weeks ago, um, and that was good. Um, it's, it's impossible to teach them about social distancing though. But so they, <laughs> we're all fine. Um, but they, yeah, it was, it was nice to actually get them together again. And then Donovan's seen his other cousins on the other side um, that are older and have been homeschooled and staying home and stuff too. So we felt good about that. And um, it is important, um, I think, just to have him be around other kids. So, but particularly cousins too. Like, I mean, this is one of the things that really has been hard for me in this time because, you know, we usually will make trips to Texas and a couple times a year. And the last few years has been more frequent because new members of the family coming along. And my kids are a little older than yours, but they're old enough. They're at that cool old enough age where they can be the cool older cousins, you know? And like, we were planning to be there for Texas football game would have been happening in just a couple weeks from now uh, with my dad and all of us. And then, you know, tailgate. And, and we did that last year. And we were going to do it this year. And I just was so looking forward to the big cousin meetup, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, we can do that in the future, but uh, that's been hard for me. Yeah, Amy Lewis still liked and, and really enjoyed the the video chats. Though I think her her uh, attention span has probably diminished since we started, but she really I mean her time with grandparents I think is also she really loves hanging out with uh, with cousin Jack since they're the closest in age. Uh, they love but, each other. You know, meeting and pops that's an important time. And she's you know really likes that time with grandparents on the video screen. But uh, yeah, she's it's been, just been a weird evolution, you know, from March to now, you know, she was not even, she was like, just learning words at the beginning. I mean, her 10th word was mask, you know, um, and now she's wearing a mask at daycare. Um, And I think like Stephanie said, I'm doing better, probably better than I would be if I were in her shoes. And uh, because she sees all the other older kids at daycare wearing it all day. And so there's a good like social reinforcement happening there that she doesn't fight it. She puts it on and to be happy about it. So I think we have to cycle through a couple of them a day, but yeah. That's one thing I noticed about the zoom calls from the very beginning um, is that uh, was, which was really cool that instead of like 
doing it like we're doing now where everybody goes around and sequentially sort of tells what they're doing in their life. It very quickly just turned into like, whatever's happening is happening. So it was like Zoom portal into these different universes. And you remember like we were a lot, we spent a lot of the first ones that we do. We were just playing ping pong. Do you all remember? Yeah. Like I just yeah. had the camera on and we just had like ping pong like, cause that's what we were doing at our house. In your garden. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. I still have tomatoes up there actually. Yeah, but that was, <laughs> that's what we were doing. And Scott, I, uh, I, I've been meaning to ask you this, and I'll just ask you in front of the whole group. Uh, so early on in this deal, I, I felt like my the most reputable information I was getting about COVID nineteen was coming from these calls, and I remember like it was like it was very important every day to make sure I was listening to this. And I was like, I, I gotta find out what's happening, what the newest thing, I couldn't digest enough information. And I felt like I, at least the information coming from your calls was going to be truthful and accurate and on point. And I, I really appreciate that. My question for you, because you are kind of the, since you were the oldest in this crew and the one responsible for uh, making sure that we are all at least sort of staying on the right track, like, What's it been like for you? I mean, what, is, what have you been feeling like knowing that you've got brothers and sisters scattered all over the place and you're, you know, trying to trying to keep us all, I, I guess I should out you that you're a worrier, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have been particularly worried about you all in Texas. And, um, you know, because I think you have bad political leadership there. I'm not saying anything I haven't said on this program before or to each of you with more colorful language over these last few months. Um, and it's not that I think you would do the wrong thing. It's that I think you've been put in many cases, and I, I won't speak to particularities, but each in your own way, I think you've been put in almost impossible situations in these last few months. If you follow the rules and other people don't, and I think it's also created situations where there's sort of generational issues. So that has that has caused me some deep concern and some anger. It's hard for me to lash out against the lieutenant governor of Texas from here. I do it on Twitter. I guess I yell into the void, you know, and, and have done COVID calls with if people go back and look. I've actually had a lot of Texans on little sort of sub theme throughout COVID calls is I've had a lot of Texas guests and Texas has been a theme throughout this. This has been a way to cope in some ways for me doing the COVID calls because at least at five o'clock every day, I knew I was going to talk to people who really cared about what was happening. Um, and probably more than you all realize, like the text messages and the Zoom calls and the, you know, where we find little bits of time to communicate, like those are, those really matter a lot. But the distance is real. I mean, I talked with Olivia Troy yesterday and I was, it was an amazing conversation. I mean, she was in the coronavirus task force. This person spent months working in an administration that has done unspeakable things, but she was actually like one of many thousands, like doing her job. And I thought the most moving part of the conversation, so her mom lives in El Paso, was she talked about her mom so, and, and how distant she feels from her mom. So I guess I, 
I don't know, Jeff kind of said earlier, like I've kind of grown up and kind of am used to being physically distant, but as close as possible with each of you. And it's been really hard these last six months to not, to feel like I couldn't if I needed to get on a plane and get down there or get to California. And I would have seen each of you at least once under ordinary conditions because of research trips or whatever, and it hasn't happened. And every one of those trips that's missed is a huge loss to me. So. I think it was true before we all had kids, but now kids are growing up so quickly as well. It's like these major milestones. First birthdays get missed, you know, second birthdays gonna get missed. Um, you just don't get that time back with family members. And it can't, you know, it's great that, I think it's great that we have this technology that allows us to do video calls, but it's just not, it doesn't replicate. It's not the same. Person. Um, I went, we're almost up on time. I just wanna remind everybody, you've been listening to me talk to my brothers and sisters for an hour on COVID calls on the 150th episode. And um, we would be remiss if we didn't at least talk a little bit about parents. Uh, and I'm gonna give the first word on this to the toughest member of the family. Everybody knows who that is, it's Lindy. Um, and uh, yeah, if, there's a, if it's time for a tough talk with the parents, I'm talking about the Noel side here, and then we'll come to you, Dave, because you have that on the other side. Um, we send Lindy in, and uh, I think this has been an experience a lot of people have had during these times, um, because older people are at greater risk, statistically speaking, and people in minority communities and older folks are at greater risk. What was it like talking to the parents about COVID-19, Lindy? I'm sending you in also because if there's any criticism later, it's on you, and I know that you can handle it. I can it. handle it. I'm not worried. <laughs> Our parents are wonderful. I'm just, I just put that down at the beginning. It's been amazing to be in touch with them more too, but go ahead, yeah. Lindy, because there have been well, some tough talks, right? Well, so I think all of us have kind of balanced, like, what should we say? You know, what do we want to say, but still be respectful because they are adults, you know, our parents are wise and they make decisions for themselves and they're watching, you know, statistics and they're being very smart but it's also it's difficult um it's it's just kind of it's sometimes you have to say like okay please don't go to the grocery store there are HEB deliveries or please ask steph and jason who are 30 minutes away to pick up something for you there you don't need to go to the store um but i mean i think like yes i get labeled as the tough person but honestly i am not I really tried to be respectful because I also don't want to be patronizing um, or come off that they're doing anything necessarily wrong. But I also want to kind of reiterate that like, we're all making these sacrifices. One of the main reasons that we kept Jack at home was so that we could see our families. Um, and so, you know, we're doing a lot of sacrifice. So if you could do curbside, pick up for HEP rather than go in the store or you know if you could just be be careful you know things like that um but I haven't I guess I I just don't want to claim that I've been tough or have had like those hard conversations because I really haven't I think I've just done more of like reminders of like the things that all of us are doing right Steph is that fair I think Steph actually has seen the parents the most out of everybody yeah we see them weekly um <laughs> which is great. Uh, but they're, I mean, that's exactly right. Like they're doing, 
they're doing really well, actually. Dad walks in with his mask on and they keep it on the whole time and they're never in our house for longer than 30, 45 minutes. But yeah, I think Lenny's right. Like you just have to remind them, like you don't have to go to Bed Bath & Beyond, right? Like I don't go there. I don't go shopping. There's Amazon, you know? Uh, so it's just kind of just the reminders that I think we do with everyone and it's just in a loving way, so. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Lindy's the tough one though. She can just talk to me. Uh, and I'm teasing Lindy, but it's that what you said about the wisdom is important. And, you know, dad has been uh, super prolific in this time writing essays. Yes. Um, like they're taking advantage of this time in ways I wouldn't necessarily have predicted. And also um, they have a new resident living in their home. Yes. Right. Meemaw. So our grandfather passed away at the beginning of all this, which was really difficult. Um, so that has been, you know, another layer to everything is getting Meemaw moved in um, from Paris, Texas, them having to um, deal with the, you know, the grief and, you know, all of the, just everything that comes losing someone so important to all of us. Um, but then having Meemaw come in, move with mom and dad, which has been awesome to, for us to be able to see her more. Um, so, but, but another, another huge reason that we've all been so careful so we can see her um, and not put her at risk. Um, Dave, can I put you on the spot just for a second to talk about, to talk about, talking to parents in these yeah, times. I, I just wanted to share one quick thing that I, I felt like was, so at the very beginning of this, and I guess I should have talked about this at the beginning piece, but not, I remember driving to work one morning and listening, again, listening to too much NPR and digesting all of this before we had gone into lockdowns. And, you know, I was talking to my dad on the way in to the office and he, I was talking to him on the phone. I was like, look, man, I, you know, I, they were still shopping. They were still going out. They were still doing everything, pretending like nothing was going on. I was like, look, I'm not ready for you to die from this. I need, and I, these were literally, this was the language I had to use with him. So he knew that I was serious. Like, I'm not ready for you to die from this. I need you to stick around. I need you to do these things so that you do stick around. And, you know, he lost his dad very young and I just, I, I didn't want to like, I wanted him to know how serious I was and that that was like, it is truly a life and death situation and I'm just not prepared to deal with that. And like, you know, especially with the new one on the way, I was like, I, I can't take this. So that was it's my, my tough talk, channeling Lindy, I guess. Well, every- Oh, you're way tougher, Dave. <laughs> every family has the one child i mean they listen to all of us but every family has that one and in the vieira household if i have a message that i really need to get through i filter it through dave <laughs> i'm glad you did that and they've been great and they've and they've followed the rules and it's been hard for them um because you know these are people who are retired now and they're ready to spend time with their grandkids and with their friends and they're stuck in the house getting groceries delivered it's not fair Oh yeah, super bored all the time. But the uh, the promise of new grand getting to hold new grandbabies certainly helped skew strong incentive. Yeah. Strong incentive. Well, we have to wrap up. I've kept you ten minutes too long, and you have other things. Um, 
that you need to do, but let's just do a quick round out. Anything we didn't cover that you wanted to say or something you look forward to in the next couple of months as we keep going through COVID time? We're not even towards, I hope we're halfway done with this. We're not towards the end of this yet. Steph? Um, I think my biggest thing is that I'm just so thankful for y'all and I truly, I'm going to get teary eyed, but I just really do think, and for people that are watching this, I hope that you reach out to your family members or close friends and really take that time because it's there. And, um, you know, we don't do it every week, but it is the highlight still of, of our time together is just seeing each other and kind of having a little bit of normalcy. I think that's what we're all craving. It's just a little bit of regular life. So, and your family is there for you for that. Well said. Oh, I got teary-eyed for that. Me too. <laughs> We're Nulses. It's fine. Nulls, <laughs> girls. I can't talk to that. Anybody else? Well, there you have it. 150th episode. Steph gave us our marching orders. Reach out mm -hmm. to family, friends, and uh, keep everybody close in this time. Love you all. Love you. Love you. You can catch COVID calls every weekday at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time. And um, we'll be back on uh, on Monday. So catch us then. Stay healthy, everybody. And thanks again for this 150th episode. <laughs>